With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger Fist, Rocket Nations football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards, that's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. Well, I guess beyond the box. I don't know what we're calling this. It's after the game. Uh, Missouri heroically uh, covered the spread against Alabama uh, this evening, 38-19. Um, all things considered, BK, I think we all kind of came in here assuming that the Tigers are going to get their baby brains bashed in. And uh, they actually held their own in the second quarter or second half. What do you think? I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it's weird whenever you leave a game and you lose 38 to 19. And really, I mean, the, the fourth quarter, for all intents and purposes, didn't count, right? Like, the, Alabama knew they had the game in hand. So it's basically a 35 to 6 game. I thought the defense played okay for the most part. Despite the fact that they gave up 35, they will get into a lot of this. But you have a backup cornerback going up against Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. That's not going to go well for you. And it didn't go well for the Tigers. So that's pretty much my biggest takeaway there. And then on the offensive side of things, I think you saw enough glimpses of hope against a really good defense. And Alabama is going to be a tremendous defense this year with Dylan Moses back. That dude is a stud. Uh, I thought you saw enough to make you feel pretty good about what it's going to be moving forward. It's not going to be great. But I think you have you have reasons for optimism after tonight, and that's really all you needed to have. It didn't have to be anything that was perfect. You needed enough to be able to make you feel like going into next week when you play a, t- a team like Tennessee, that you could actually have reasons to believe that that could be a close and a fun and enjoyable game to watch as a Mizzou fan. And I think you had all of that tonight. Yeah, I. 
the the secondary is a mixed bag. The safeties were excellent. The corners are a disaster, and that's not completely their fault. They are all super super young, and yeah, like exactly like you said. I think I think even the broadcast mentioned it maybe seven or eight times that uh, Alabama's receivers are like top ten NFL draft prospects. So yeah, it was going to be a little rough, and that's expected and fine. Um, so you got to find a solid rotation. A couple guys injured left, came in, left out, you know, it it was kind of rotation, which is fine. Um, I just, you know, going into this, going into this season, my expectations are low going into this game. My expectations were low. So watching this game with a vested interest, but no expectations was refreshing for me because I was talking about what we talked about last show, looking for the little things. And, I got to say, you had some bad moments on the offensive line. I don't want to take those away. We, we all knew that was going to happen. There were a couple of matchups that I thought went surprisingly well. And the one that I want to point out is Zeke Powell, who we were all kind of nervous about. And I don't think he had a flawless game. I don't want to, I don't want to try and convince anybody of that. But he was handling the pass rush decently well from his side and I think one of the sacks was up to him sure but I think overall I didn't notice him as much as I thought I was going to does that make sense yeah I mean you you go into it and you kind of just assume it's going to be a disaster right and maybe that's unfair to the kid but I mean you're going against Alabama's defensive line and you've got what is essentially a, a third string on on a good team offensive tackle or at least that's the expectation going into it and he held his own for the most part. Was he was he perfect? No, but I wouldn't have expected him to be perfect in this game. I didn't think I didn't think the offensive line was awful in this game. I saw a lot no. of commentary on Twitter throughout where they were like, "Oh my god, Mizzou can't do anything. The offensive line is a disaster." I actually didn't leave the game feeling that way at all. Um, they had their moments where they struggled, but some of those sacks and sacks in some ways can be a quarterback stat. Um, I, I actually thought Sean Robinson held onto the ball way too long on yeah. a couple of those where yeah. that's not on the O-line. If your quarterback is supposed to have an RPO where he's going to get rid of it like that and your offensive line is blocking run and he doesn't get rid of it quickly, well, yeah, it's going to look bad. And on some of those, it was he scrambles, he scrambles, he scrambles, he's hoping to find something. Eventually, you've just got to get rid of the football, and he yeah. never got rid of the football. And so – is that on the O-line? I think not, but I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the way that they were able to play in this game. Yeah, and, and and without knowing Sean Robinson's coaching, like I don't know what Bush Hamden's telling him on the sideline. I don't know what Drinkwitz wants him to do. It just looked like he was Mahomes in it, you know? Hey, I'm just going to dance around. I'm going to sidearm. I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to make something happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a play happen. And, like, <laughs> it's just – you're not doing that. Not with this skill, these skill position guys against this defense. It's not. You can, you can throw it away. You can, you know, you can tuck it and just trot out of bounds for you know an inch. Like, you don't have to make the touchdown happen every single time. And I feel like that's what it looked like a lot. That sack where he got decapitated was almost 100% on him. I'm not saying the pressure was his fault. I'm saying his decision to roll out and keep like flip-flapping back around, like, turning his back. Like, that's that's on you, man, and that sucks, but you got to get rid of that ball. Yeah, and, and he, he did that multiple times. And I, I thought both Sean Robinson and Connor Basilek were just trying to do a little bit too much early. 
Robinson settled in towards the end, and I actually think, it, yeah. like, if, if you told me coming into this, and I texted you this during the game, if you told me at the beginning of this game, hey, you can lock it in right now. Sean Robinson's going to finish this game 19 for 25. He's mm-hmm. going to have 185 yards through the air. He's going to throw a touchdown, and he's not going to have any interceptions that he throws. I would have slammed that button and said, <laughs> let's just end this game now. I will absolutely accept that. I mean, that that's a fine game against this team. That's that's basically what we were hoping that we would get last year from Kelly Bryant. And that's kind of yeah. what he gave you in this one. So, yeah. uh, and this was against the number two team in the country. Um, and I, I actually think they should be the number I, – I agree with Eli Trinkwitz. Yeah. They're underrated. They should be the number one team in the country. But both Basilic and Robinson were looking to do too much. It's actually a play that Basilic made that kind of stood out to me when it comes to talking about that. Which one? Uh, he had that third down play where he had – maybe 15 20 yards of green grass in front of him oh yeah and you have yeah. you have two options on that play if you're base like you can either run for the first down there or you can throw to kiki chisholm who was coming open over the middle with mm-hmm. a a crosser route and he was easily going to be able to pick up the first down he chose option number three which shouldn't <laughs> have been an option which was throwing it deep down the sideline um, toward Hazelton, who Against was covered his body. on the play. Yeah, it just—it was going to be a really hard throw, a contested catch if it was even made. Yeah, it did. He didn't come down with it, and then that—that that was kind of symbolic of the issues that these guys had, just trying to do a little bit too much. And against a team like Alabama, if you're doing that, it's going to cost you. And in fairness to to Drinkwitz, we didn't see Basilek after that, like not until the fourth quarter. So, I think quarterback controversy. We can put that to bed right now. <laughs> I'm serious. No, it, I, really? Do you actually think that? Yes. Like, do do I think that there should be a quarterback controversy? Maybe. I thought I actually kind of liked what I saw from Basilic. I think he gets rid of the ball quicker. I think I agree. whenever he came in for that drive, the the offense, it just it felt a little less um, schizophrenic at times. Yes. Like there, there were times when Robinson was in there where I'm like, oh, we just need to calm things down a little bit. And I thought Basilic did a good job of that. So me personally, I think probably I would go into the next game saying it's still open. I think Eli Drinkwitz made it very clear with the way that they played this game. He doesn't view it that way. I think Drinkwitz views Sean Robinson as their starting quarterback 100% going into next week. Okay, I disagree. And I want to tell you why. Okay. I want to tell you why. This was never going to be a win. And this, when you have three quarterbacks on the roster, well, three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, you don't get one of them out there and have him get demolished and demoralized if you want him to build long-term. You do not put Connor Baslack in a position in the second quarter or the third quarter saying, all right, you're going up against the ones, let's do this. You give him a series, yes, but you let Sean Robinson, the older, more mobile, yes, but the older guy who's only going to be here for a few years, you let him take that L. You let him take those hits, make those mistakes, and have Basilek watch from the sideline, and then get him in at the end. This is this is uh, these are not the same players, mind you, but it reminds me of a Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence kind of situation, where Kelly Bryant started the year for Clemson, Trevor Lawrence came in and finished it. I think in this run, these six games, I think you're going to see a heavy Robinson usage with Basilek sprinkled in, as long as no one gets injured or COVID, and then as the schedule eases up. Baslack's going to be your main man. Now, I'm saying that based off of one game, and I'm not Eli Drinkwitz, but I wouldn't want to ruin the future for one game that you know you're not going to win. 
It's interesting because I looked at it as more, and it's so crazy how we, we could both watch the same game, and I'm not saying you're wrong at all, but I, I we viewed it through a different prism. I kind of viewed it as, okay, he's going with the Gary Pinkle plan. Because Pinkle used to do this all the time, mm-hmm. where he has the quarterback that is the established veteran, or he's the starter, right? Mm-hmm. We saw this with Drew Locke. We saw it with Matty Mock. We saw it with Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel. Like, all of them got the one series. You're going to get one series. A lot mm-hmm. of the times, it was like second or third quarter. You're going to get one series, and that's going to be it. That's all you get for the entire game, but I want to want to get you reps in this game. And it's just going to be scripted. Here's the time where you're going to be able to get that series. I thought that's what we saw from Connor Bazelik tonight was Eli Drinkwitz went into it. Sean Robinson is our guy. Bazelik, you're going to get a series in the second quarter. And then he ended up coming in there in garbage time and ultimately mm-hmm. got that rushing touchdown. And I thought it looked good in that series as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was kind of the scripted way that they went about it. It's interesting that you looked at it through the opposite of – Robinson, it, it's almost like a pitcher who's struggling in a game <laughs> yeah. uh, where your your bullpen's depleted and you go out there to the mound and you have a mound visit and you say to him, like, hey, you got to wear this one. Mm-hmm. I need six out of you. You're through, th- you're through two and a third right now. Find a way to get through it. You've got 100 <laughs> pitches. Let's see what you've got left. Yeah. And maybe that's what they were doing there. But I, I viewed it the other way. I just – who knows who's right. Again, this is this is one 60-minute game. Actually, something crazy – you know me, I get obsessive about things. I rewatched last year's Arkansas game, which I know that's that was not the best game to watch. We won, but it wasn't good. But I watched it specifically to watch Connor Baslack. And I think your description of the Mizzou offense was perfect. Schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that when Connor B was in. It wasn't that in the Arkansas game. He was he seemed to be in control. And despite the we'll call it questionable decisions he made in his in his loan series when the game was still quote-unquote in question despite that he just seemed more level-headed more in control more comfortable with what he was doing sean robinson is fine I mean, but he was just like again it was he was a try hard <laughs> it's just like i'm gonna make it happen and like <laughs> It just didn't seem comfortable, and and I'm I'm sure I'm you know armchair psychologying this thing to death, but I just feel like Connor Baslick has a better grip on the game. I don't know if that's the playbook or just his leadership style, but he's everything seems slower for him. Some and of it might also be playing style, right? It could because be. Ro- it could Robinson be. is more of a guy that is going to try to make things happen with his legs. Yeah, and this is one thing that I do think could be a potential problem for Baslick is. He he is a little bit of a statue in there at times. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's going to stand in there and he's going to find his open guy. And if that guy is open, especially first read, it's coming out quick. Mm-hmm. He's getting it straight on the target. It's going to be a nice rope of a throw. You're going to love the way that it looks. If that first guy is not there. He's going to look to the second guy. Mm-hmm. If that second guy is not there. He's going to look to the third guy. And at that point, it's entirely possible that the defense has already collapsed on him. And he's taking a sack. <laughs> and he's sure. not going to make anything else happen. Um, sure. Robinson's a little different. Robinson's going to look at that first option. If it's not there, he might scramble a little bit over to his right. And maybe he gets himself into trouble in doing so. That happened plenty tonight, and it will happen in the future. Yep. But it also could open something up with a scramble drill where, okay, now you've got Hazleton working his way open, and he's able to find him. Or Knox is working his way open, and he finds him for a nice little gain. So it, it's a little bit of a pick-your-poison. Both of them have clear weaknesses in their game, mm-hmm. but I do think they both have a little bit of a strength as well. And I think, based on what I saw tonight, 
I think that Drinkwitz prefers the strength that Robinson brings to the table as opposed to what Bazelik brings to the table, whether sure. we agree or disagree with that. Sure, yeah. You mentioned a name, Jalen Knox. Mm-hmm. I was impressed. How do you feel about his move to the slot? Uh, that's the way he should have been used all Yes! Along. Yes! Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> obvious now. I mean, it's so easy for him to win in there. Like, he he's a running back at receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that that's basically what he is. He's really good after the catch. He finds his ways into these nooks and crannies of the defense. Even against Alabama, who have great linebackers, he was finding ways to find the openings, whether it be in the zone or against man. He was always finding openings, and I thought Drinkwitz also deserves a lot of credit for the way that he was able to get him open. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one play in particular that immediately comes to mind. I think it was on third down, but I might might be misremembering the actual situation. Um, He he had him on the left side of the formation, and at the snap, he slipped knocks behind the line of scrimmage over to the right side, Mm -hmm. and then he just ended up kind of peeling off going into the flat, and it was just an easy throw for the quarterback, straight over to Knox. He gets up. I think he ended up gaining like 10, 12 yards on that play. Um, and it, it was just perfect. It was just a way to – you're manufacturing a touch for a player that is good in open space, and he's able to pick you up some yardage after the catch. That's what we've always wanted to see from mm-hmm. Jalen Knox, and Drinkwitz was able to make it happen. I loved the way that they used him tonight. It was a new career high for him, by the way, in touches in any game in his career. Nice. Nice. Hey, he Seven just, in one game. He was just so much more comfortable. Yeah, he was winning those those battles on the inside. Um, I'm I'm excited for the Jalen Knox slot experience of 2020. Like, I sign me up. I already like what I see. Um, and yeah, I, you know the thing that I was really looking for. And we've talked about it. And you talked about it in your piece. We've talked about it. Now it was this is all like, what is a Drinkwitz offense? And I don't think we saw it all. Today, I certainly hope we haven't seen it all today. I don't want him to show his whole hand to Alabama. But you had some interesting uh, interesting formations, some interesting usage. My personal favorite was a play that actually <laughs> it wasn't a good one. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But they lined up Daniel Parker Jr., uh, split him out wide on the line, and then put two receivers behind him. Um, so you had essentially six linemen except one flexed out. And they really widened out the the formation, and it ended up being a run. Um, but I like that concept. That can be a lot of. That's a good setup for like a quick screen, or um, you know, a tunnel screen inside if you want to, or just a lot of misdirection with QB with draw DPJ as well. on the inside. QB draw, yeah, you draw some defenders outside. Um, but DPJ is a pretty good blocker, and to get him out on the edge. Uh, for a potential quick pass or whatever you want to do, I think that was super cool. Is, were there any formations that really screamed out to you like, ooh, this is that old Drinkwitz offensive genius speaking to us? It was less formationally, more it was I, – I, he used a lot of pre-snap motion. Um, he used a lot of – I forget the terminology, but basically Jalen Knox, the orbit, the orbit motions oh, yeah. uh, with Jalen Knox. We saw a lot of yeah. that tonight. Um, the It's not a formation, but – at the end there, using the uh, the running back wheel, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will always forever. forever have a place in my heart for wheel routes, especially with Tyler Beatty. When you mm-hmm. have a guy that is that good uh, in the passing game, I love utilizing him that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was some really interesting stuff. I want to go back and kind of rewatch it to be able to see it a little, a little better, but I thought... 
some of the uh, the running gap schemes that they were using with Larry Roundtree were really intriguing. Yeah, um, yeah. he had a really nice game, by the way. He he looked like Mizzou's best player, like offensively by far. He was awesome in this one. He was running Larry so Roundtree. angrily; it was beautiful. That looked like the guy that we remember. Um, uh, speaking of the offense, I did want to bring up another guy that we had really high hopes for coming into this one, kind of going back to the receivers, mm-hmm. and it didn't live up to my hopes, frankly. <laughs> uh, Kiki Chisholm. Yeah, what the heck, we, man? We heard about him from like every player that had any opportunity to talk to the media. And he finished the game, really, like when it was in hand or what, when it was still in play, he basically had two targets, and he had one reception at that point for, like, nine yards. He finished the game with two tar- two receptions for 12, but it was one for nine was really what he did. He really never got involved. I, I figured at some point they would manufacture a touch for him the way that they did with Jalen Knox and the mm-hmm. way that they did a couple of times with Hazleton as well. And it just never happened. What did you make of that? A couple things, and I, I have only watched it through the one time, so I will be rewatching it like five times for a beyond-the-box score, so I'll have a better answer later. My first guess is is that we could not shut up about Kiki Chisholm, and he actually is that good, and Saban just erased him because that's what Saban defenses do. They find your best guy, and they take him away. So don't rule out that aspect, right? You know, The other team plays hard, too. However, maybe it's some gamesmanship. Do you go back to the fact that Drinkwitz goes, ah, screw it, we're not winning this one anyway. Let's uh, let's kind of keep him in the on the cupboard for a little bit. Like that would be very stupid, because uh, I know all these guys are very skilled uh, gamesmen and they always want to win. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a thought that goes in the back of your head or whatever. My my initial thought is that Saban just completely erased him, and I think that's the right the right answer. That makes sense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I, I was just surprised by it. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I don't want to take too much of any of these things, right? Like, they, it was one game. It was against what I would believe to be the best team in the country. So I don't want to make any, like, overwhelming statements after that. Uh, I was just surprised, given what we had heard all offseason about it. And yeah. I was impressed. I was impressed with Knox. I thought yeah. Hazleton had some really good moments. Um, they ended up rotating quite a few other receivers in which i found really interesting Pasky dove um, they, had a big catch yeah yeah they, they they just they had more of a rotation there than i was anticipating deontay smith yeah we need to get him a new number because if he's gonna play <laughs> he can't be number 31, <laughs> can't be 31 dude it's he can't. Just, like he's got to find number like 17 or something we got to get him something uh, as an offensive number at receiver he, he's got to be able to switch with somebody Although I kind of like the novelty of thirty-one, like you just you never see that, so that could be kind of cool. I, it's like I always love defensive linemen who wear seventy numbers. Like I think that's always really fun. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I think that's hilarious, <laughs> especially like when Terry Beckner was seventy-nine and just like destroying fools. I'm like, who's seventy-nine? Like what? What a fat number that is. Like why are you? No, why are you good? Um, so I there is some uniqueness to thirty-one, but let's see here. You're going to be in some tough competition. You could take 10. Chris Mills is 10 on defense. There is no offense 10. That would be kind of weird, though. That's usually a quarterback number. Uh, you could take, jeez, you could take 16. Gerald Nathan is 16. There's no offensive 16. That, that's perfect. Do, yeah. do 16. Yeah. yeah. So we'll do some, that. Something like that. It, it just it can't be 31. <laughs> and 17 is open, too, because uh, Jalen Carley's is defensive back 17. So, um, Yeah, I do – 
the nice uh, rotating the receivers in, I think, again, it's just like, hey, let's see what we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Knox was great in the slot. Some issues. The one thing I'll point out, and I think you and I were mentioned this. I saw it on Twitter, too. Options to the short side of the field. Um, that was downright Doolian. I don't know why we are doing options to the short side of the field. Like, I understand. You got to keep them on toes. Oh, it's the last thing they're going to think. Well, it's the last thing they're going to expect because it never freaking works. I think I've, I can count on one hand the number of times an option to the short side of the field works. And the last time I saw it work was James Franklin in 2013 against Murray State. So <laughs> let's find some other thing to do to the short side, okay? You know when it really doesn't work, Nate? Hmm is when you have Dylan Moses on that side of the field. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like you should have read, made that read and go, oh, let's do something different. Yeah, flip it. Sean, I, I, like Sean, Robinson, Sean Robinson has to have the authority at the line of scrimmage when he sees Dylan Moses, who is one of the best players in the country. He's going to be a first-round pick next year. When you see that guy on the short side of the field where you're getting ready to run an option, which you already shouldn't be doing, Flip it. We are now going to the other side. We're going to move the running back. He is now going to be on my left instead of to my right. And we're going to run this thing to the left side. I know that's not where the strength of your offensive line is. I don't care. Give it a shot. Yeah. Because it had had a better opportunity to work going that way than it did the way that they went. Yeah. I agree. Um, But, hey, these are the why, you know, this is is typically why you have non-conference games against, you know, an FCS opponent or – you know, a G5 that's coming in to get paid. You have those games to figure these sorts of things out. Can we get away with this? Can we not? On the flip side, figuring out what you can and can't do against probably the best team in the nation, also very beneficial. That's, I get it. It sucks because you lose, but this this is never going to be a great season anyway, and then you added COVID on top of it, so screw it. Why not? Um, were you satisfied with the amount of, what do I want to call it? From the hipness, uh, letting it fly, kind of just trying things out. Did you see enough experimentation, or would you like to see a little bit more as we go throughout the season? Um, I think I'd probably like to see a little bit more. Like, I really liked the way that they were able to get Jalen Knox involved. Uh, I thought down the stretch they did a good job of getting Tyler Beatty involved. I think they did a good job of finding ways to utilize Larry Roundtree in the running game. Like. I, I do think there's credit that deserves to be handed to Eli Drinkwitz for the way that he was able to utilize his weapons, because I, I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times. I actually think they've got quite a few of them, mm-hmm. and it can get it can become really difficult when you have, I mean, now if Jalen Knox is emerging as one of their better offensive weapons, like you've got quite a few mouths that you've got to feed. You've got to feed Kiki Chisholm eventually. I think mm-hmm. early in the next game, one thing that I would predict now for next weekend's game Kiki Chisholm's going to get an early target on that first series. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get him involved. Damon Hazleton's going to be involved. Tyler Beatty's going to be involved. Jalen Knox, and you're going to get Larry Roundtree. That's five dudes that you really want to get involved consistently throughout the course of a game. That's just a lot of guys. A lot of offenses that Mizzou's had in the past, you've got two, maybe three. Once he gets a four or five, that fourth or fifth guy is going to get fewer touches than you probably like. Um, and so that's that's something that I think we're just going to have to deal with. But in terms of the creativity of getting them involved, I probably would have liked to see a little bit more. But I think that's easier said than done when you've got a pass rush as good as Alabama is. And a lot of that creativity takes time. Yeah. And going up against that team, I mean, we saw one of early in the game, they tried a slow developing zone read. That didn't mm-hmm. work. They tried a slow developing screen that probably against most teams in the sec would have eventually worked 
and it was just snuffed out immediately by Bama. So I think they were thinking about going down that path, and they eventually just decided, like, we don't have time to do these things. So yeah. that's that's part of why you didn't see more of it. Yeah. You know, and, and defensively, there were th- some things, too. You know, obviously, we, we briefly talked about the secondary, kind of a mixed bag, especially with, you know, Rakestraw going down with injury. He was in and out. Jarvis Ware, poss- you know, it looks like it's a knee right now. They don't know anything past that. Yeah, they said that he's going to get an MRI, but according to the report after the game, it, it, according to Drinkwitz, they don't think it's anything too serious. Yeah. So that's that's really good news because from what we saw tonight, they cannot lose him. They, they cannot can't. lose him this year. They can't. Um, you know, I w- – I went back, and I'm pretty sure it was Adam Sparks, but I, I'm both. But um, the, the corners gave up just too much. Now, saying you gave up too much against NFL receivers is okay, obviously, yes, especially when you're a freshman or a sophomore. But uh, the man-on-man coverage was not super strong. One thing that I liked, and again, it's kind of tough to tell. I'm not totally sure how consistent this is or what. But while we continue to not see anything from Chris Turner, Trajan Jeffcoat. Yeah, yeah. The formerly no longer on the team just randomly shows back up on campus and just randomly gets a couple pressures and a sack in his first game back. Um, get him in the starting lineup, please. Like, he, he has he has what no other Mizzou defensive end has on the roster right now which is the ability to promise yes um but like the ability to get to the quarterback by bending the edge he can do that no other mizzou defensive end on the roster right now has shown the ability to do that maybe isaiah mcguire can maybe cannon york can i don't know but we haven't seen it from them we saw it against mm-hmm. alabama from Trajan Jeffcoat. Like, yeah. if he can do that against those tackles, one of which is going to be, again, I keep saying this, they've got a lot of them, a potential top 50 pick next year. Okay, let's see what that can look like against Tennessee and then see what that can look like against what was a very disappointing LSU team earlier today. Um, <laughs> I, I want to see more yeah. of that. Get that dude involved. And even maybe it is just obvious pass passing downs that's perfectly fine you don't have to put him in there against the run all the time that's fine i got no issues with that if you just want him as a designated pass rusher let's do that but that guy has juice and i want to see more of it i know everyone on twitter is saying oh it was against the backups oh it was against the backups number one alabama's backups are better than missouri starters okay these are also four and five star kids it's okay but number two Jeffco was getting pressure on the ones. He was getting good inside pressure too. Like he was, he had good rip move. He had a good bend move. He was pushing on the inside. Like he was doing good things. And I, I don't think he was lined up next to Whiteside. I don't I'll have to go back and look, but um, he was getting good pressure. Now it wasn't turning to sacks, but eventually it did against the twos. I don't care where it comes from. This dude hasn't played football in over a calendar year, and he's doing this against the Crimson Tide. So. It's promising, and especially when you've looked at Chris Turner just occupy a spot for three years. This is this feels a lot better. This feels a lot better for long-term development. Uh, and Trey Williams, hey, he got a sack. He got a forced fumble as well. Um, this is the stuff we're talking about. This is the stuff mm-hmm. that we need to see. Uh, and I know the defensive staff has mostly stayed intact, so it's certainly not like an Odom told him not to get sacks. But I don't know. They, just, they were just better against a solid team, a very good team. They were just better in this game and that makes me 
happy for the first time in the defensive and, and line for to years. To kind of soften this a little bit, they did not get consistent pressure. Like if if there was if there not was one can, uh, one issue that they had, especially in the first half, it was they had all day to throw at times. Um, that being said, it's not yeah. about consistent pressure against Alabama when you're Missouri. Like that's just the realistic way to look at this. It's about can you show splashes? Mm-hmm. Can you show signs of of reason to believe that it can happen against other teams that are not Alabama? And for Mizzou in this game, they did show that. They showed reasons to believe that later on down the road when they're playing against teams that aren't the best team in the country, maybe they're going to get home or they're going to cause pressure that maybe causes an errant throw and then suddenly a corner is able to pick a ball off. Like Those things really matter. And last year they didn't happen often enough. So seeing signs of that in this game is enough for me to be interested to see what that looks like next week. I did want to ask you a little bit about the usage as well because – You've been on this for a while now about the defensive ends being labeled as outside linebackers on the website. And then they came (laughs) out last week and confirmed, the coaching staff did, okay, yeah, our defensive ends are actually kind of going to be linebackers this year. They're going to be edge rushers, basically. And we saw a lot of that today. Mm -hmm. It didn't change a ton. Like, they're basically just standing up, but they're playing the same position. I was really interested in the usage of Nicholson, though. Because, God, that dude was heating. Is he is he an edge rusher at times? Like he he was lined up I mean, all it's over what the it place. Like. Um, I I'm yeah. really interested to see what they decide to use him because he's not your typical linebacker. Like if you just look at the way that he's built, I I'll have to look at what he's listed at. But he's really long and lanky and kind of almost has the build of a defensive end. But he runs quick and can cover a little bit. Not great, but a little bit. He's a really intriguing player. Um, I underestimated what he could potentially bring to this defense. I was I was very impressed by him. Uh, I think he had like eight or nine tackles at the half or something like that. Um, and yeah, he was kind of moving all over. So I don't know what their intent is, but yeah, he's six three two thirty. He got some time last year. Started uh, siphoning away starts and, and snaps from from Cameron uh, yep. uh, Cameron Wilkins and, and everybody else as the season went on. Um, but he, he was in and he was constantly playing. Like, I know they rotate those still, um, but he saw the majority of the snaps and he did really well. I don't, I'm not totally sure what it is. I'll, when I go back and watch, I'll have to kind of keep track of where he lined up, but, um, he's a little small for a rush in, but he certainly has the speed for it. And if you don't expect it from the, from the mic, essentially, that's what he plays. If you don't expect that from the mic and you see him kind of lining up, you know, I don't know, kind of moving over on the outside, uh, and you got still got Nick Bolden patrolling everywhere. You can do a lot of fun things on defense with that uh, that you're not going to see completely against Alabama, but maybe like against a Tennessee or a South Carolina or a Vanderbilt. Um, so yeah, I was going to say like his his performance was very promising, uh, especially when you compare that with uh, with Nick Bolton. Everything yeah, that, that guy. Can do. It's really crazy because we said this kind of at the beginning. I came away pretty, like, impressed with what the defense was able to do. I know that's strange. They gave up 38 points, yeah. um, and there were there were way too many big plays, but that's going to happen against Alabama. Like, Jalen Waddle, one of my biggest takeaways from this game is just Jalen Waddle's going to terrorize defenses all year, and that's an Alabama takeaway, but that dude's a stud. He's terrifying to go up against. So when you give up 38 points, it is what it is. Nicholson showed us something. I think both safeties showed us that they're ready to take that next step. Yeah. Gillespie uh, yeah. looked awesome for much of that game. 
Um, I, I, Bloodsoe made some plays at the beginning of the game that were like, whoa, okay, you have arrived. Um, and then we know what Nick Bolton is, he, and he showed plenty of flashes once again tonight. The middle of that defense is going to be really good this year, and when they're not going up against yeah. Alabama's weapons, I think they're going to make life a living nightmare across the middle against some of these quarterbacks that they go up against. Yeah, Martez Manuel, I think three and a half tackles for him yeah. uh, in his first start. Yeah, uh, susceptible to the pass. I mean, really, all our safeties are like Bledsoe and, and Gillespie are more enforcers than you know center fielders, and they do pretty well against the pass. Don't get me wrong, but like it, Alabama can take advantage of our safeties, and they did. But yes, plays were still being made. They looked really good uh, for solid stretches of the game. So again, I'm just I'm not concerned overall about our. Our safeties, it's nice to see them play well, especially when you compare that with, you know, maybe a pass rush that's getting better because, God, you know, our, our corners are going to need it. So, um, yeah, if Nicholson can do a little bit of everything, Bolton does do a little bit of everything, uh, the line can get a little bit more pressure and the corners can learn on the job. <laughs> like, you you got a nice foundation to build off of and you're not going to win them all. In fact, we're probably going to lose most of them. But um, I think we can be a scary out. And maybe that was just first game jitters for Alabama, but hey, man, we still did it. And um, Tennessee looked pretty vulnerable against uh, a peer team. Basically, South Carolina is Missouri. Um, you know, they looked very normal. <laughs> so uh, who knows? Who knows what next week can bring? But um, yeah, when you go in with with rock bottom expectations, anything can look good. But uh, I think it was a little bit more than just. Oh, you exceeded my very meager yeah, I, expectations. Yeah, I thought they, they showed some real signs, especially up the middle of that defense, of being something that is is going to be a little bit of a threat against some of these teams they face. And the other big takeaway today from like a big picture, you mentioned what we saw from Tennessee. The SEC as a whole is just is, is not what it was a year ago. I mean, the quarterback play was probably my biggest takeaway from a lot of these surprise um, letdowns. Georgia doesn't have a quarterback right now. Um, I watched the vast majority of that game. They 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 cannot throw the ball consistently, uh, and they're going to struggle to do that against even Mizzou. I, I watched a lot of the LSU game against Mississippi State. LSU is not LSU this year. What they what we saw from them last year just pretend like that never happened because this is a very very different team. What Mizzou is going to see two weeks from now? Yes, they are unbelievably talented and. That's going to be a really tough game for Mizzou to win. I'm not suggesting that they're going to go down to Baton Rouge and win, but this is not the same team that we saw a year ago. And so if, if Mizzou does have some of these playmakers defensively, they're going to have at least a shot in that game to make things interesting. Kentucky looked solid, but their yeah. their offense sputtered at times this this week. And so that I, I think this is going to be a season that is a little bit more gettable for Mizzou than we expected it to be coming into the year. They won't get all of them. Like you said, they'll probably lose more often than they won't, but they're going to be in a lot of these games, I think, compared to what I expected coming into the season. I mean, at this point, the best, the top three quarterbacks in in the SEC is Mac Jones, Trask. Uh, KJ Costello, and Colin uh, Hill. Kyle Trask would be one of those. Well, yeah. Crap. Kyle Trask would probably be number yeah, one Kyle for me Trask. in the in the SEC. I'll tell you, oh, if he didn't have Kyle Pittman, though. But he like, does. 
That's all he has. <laughs> he does have them, but I'm saying, you know, this is a weird year. I just the things that I kind of took away is yes, the SEC is going to be a, is is going to be a tough grind for every single team. I don't think anyone's going undefeated. Quarterback play, other than the four that we mentioned, are going to be pretty pretty scatter shot. Uh, home field advantage ain't there this year, man. Like Mississippi State took down LSU at LSU, right? Like I don't think that's going to be a very big deal. Uh, and Tennessee, well, Tennessee beat South Carolina at South Carolina, but whatever. That's not not the point. Um, I think, yeah, home field advantage is no such thing. Quarterback play is not so great. And they're going to be missing these practices, right? You need practices to get good. And everyone just looked super rusty, just super rusty, even with the full month of fall camp. So I don't know how long that lasts. I'm sure the better coaches are going to be able to knock that rust off very quickly. Um but I'm kind of hoping it means it's a wide open SEC and something random, crazy happens, like Vanderbilt <laughs> comes in second or something like that. I mean, East. home teams, like to, to your point, home teams were two and five today overall in the conference, Good and Lord. that's just not what you would expect yeah. to see. Now, you you probably knew Alabama was going to come into Mizzou and beat them. You knew Georgia was going to go into Arkansas yeah. and beat them, but. LSU losing at home, that never happens. South Carolina, I thought, had a pretty decent mm-hmm. shot to upset Tennessee, and they, they actually did have a pretty decent shot to upset Tennessee in the end. But it, it's it's not going to be the same as it is in most years. Going down to Death Valley is just not going to feel the same as it typically would. That's a place that you never win. Mm-hmm. You go down there, especially if it's a night game, you're going to lose. I don't care who you are. Uh, it's, it's not going to feel that way this year whenever you go down there. So... It, it's wide open right now, more so than in a typical season for a million different reasons, as you just kind of explained. And if if Mizzou has a defense that you feel like can get a little bit of pressure on the quarterback, they've got some guys that can stand out defensively, and you have a few playmakers now that have really stepped up a little bit, I think it could be an interesting year for fans. I wanted to bring up one more thing about Nick Bolton. I texted this to you early in the mm. game, and I wanted to bring it onto the podcast. <laughs> um David Bush was a linebacker for Michigan a couple of years ago. He ended up getting drafted in, like, the top 15 of the first round. He's a great player now for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He flies all over the field. I think that's a pretty – He was a hybrid at Michigan. He did, like, linebacker, safety. I think he returned – he did a lot of stuff. I think that's my comp in terms of, like, style of player and how they look when they're playing the game to Nick Bolton. I came up with that today. I don't know if Nick Bolton's as good as Devin Bush is. I would probably say that he's not. Devin Bush was unbelievable at Michigan. <laughs> but in terms of stylistically and honestly aesthetically, <laughs> the, the the dreads coming out, like it all looks the same uh, to what <laughs> yeah. I saw from Devin Bush at Michigan. He kind of has a very similar vibe to him as Bush did at, at Michigan. Yeah, and you know when you asked me that, you know I took three seconds and went, yeah, I think so, but I haven't really thought too much past that. I I've continued to think about it. I promise you, I'm like, what is a good comparison? And I mean, yeah, I think you're right. You don't see. I mean, he's not a Jabril, a Jabril Peppers, yeah. right? He's not that light. He's not that fast. He's not a T.J. Watt, which you know is a linebacker should be a, an end like or a Reuben Foster or something like that. He's not like that. I think it's just yeah, just a super fast hard hitting linebacker who can do a lot of things like he's awesome yeah, man Devin he Bush. is so much fun to watch he is. I, I loved being able to see him again tonight oh uh from rj layton at rj layton um he is the associate director of strategic communications at mizzou 
Uh, Sean Robinson's completion percentage tonight, 76%, was the best by a Mizzou quarterback making his Tiger debut since at least 2000. That'll play. And it happened against Alabama. Happened against Alabama. Are we underestimating what he did tonight? Cool. Or are we underselling it? See, now, see, that's why I brought it up. Now I'm questioning. Like, do we just have a bad taste in our mouth? I don't know. I'm not mad at him. I didn't expect much from him. So I don't think it, we're being harsh, but 76% is pretty dang good. It's really good. Where did they go, though? That's the other thing. I need to look and see what the success rate on his passing. If you're completing 76 of your passes with, like, a 30% success rate, then it doesn't it doesn't mean jack because um, you're, you're not moving the ball. But I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting starting point for me to figure out uh, – just how well he For did. what it's worth, if you look back at last season, um, there was, were exactly how many games with a Mizzou quarterback attempting at least 10 passes in a game and having a completion percentage above mm-hmm. 76%. Zero. Oh, zero. Zero games yeah, last year. Zero. It's the first time that it's happened in the last two years. That's wild, man. <laughs> like 76% is a really good game, don't get me wrong. It shouldn't be two years ago was the last time that that happened. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. It is this right? It's only happened three times this decade? For Mizzou? Oh. Uh, From 2011 to 2019. No. Mizzou had exactly three games of a quarterback throwing at least 10 passes and finishing the game with a quarter or a completion percentage of 76%. Is that right? Well... That's because we had to suffer through Matty Mock for three years. Is that possible? <laughs> and then you had Drew Locke growing into it, and then you yeah, had Drew Kelly. Locke did it three times. It is plausible. Twice in 2018 and once in 2017, and before that, you have to go all the way back to 2010. Blaine Gabbert did it once in his career. That's wild. Wasn't that against Oklahoma? It was against McNeese State. <laughs> I think. Oh, <laughs> McNeese! Damn it! Then that doesn't the count. Okay, so number one, Drew Locke, awesome. Number two, wow, that's that the is last time a Mizzou quarterback did this against a Power Five team was Chase Daniel in 08. I think we're underselling what just happened. <laughs> <sighs> Who did Chase Iowa do State. it against? But he did it a was lot. Like that, it's, oh. it, I mean, you could ask like which game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Well, I mean. Yeah. And by the way. But, I mean, again, how many yards did he go? How many yards did he go for, though? Like, Chase was doing that as, like, two, three hundred oh, yeah, yards let, a clip. Let's Same not compare Drew this Locke, to Chase know? Daniel. Um, this, this is a yeah. totally different game compared to what we saw Chase Daniel do in his career here. But he finished yeah. the game averaging, what, seven and a half yards per attempt, which isn't bad. It's fine. Not it's bad. not great, but it's it's fine. We were really committing to the run, by the way, and this is kind of my last thought. I would have liked to see him air it out more, especially since the Alabama secondary was a weakness. Just really committed to the run, and I know that's kind of Drinkwitz's shtick, and I know our receivers aren't super great or old or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> experienced, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you. I think like the Tennessee game, we're going to see some fabricated, fabricated touches, especially for Chisholm, Hazleton. Get those guys out there because I like to see some more of those easy passes that that Knox caught, but I also want to see some deeper bombs to Hazelton and Chisholm. I think that's something that I want to see a little bit more of. What do you think? I think you're going to see it. Uh, I think Hazelton. I have my comp for him. I made it. I made this um, comparison earlier in the off season, and it remains true, especially after what we saw today. He is yeah. Jamon Moore. 
He's going to drop passes that you don't want to see him drop. It's going to happen. I, I was watching the Mizzou uh, Instagram Live video before the game. He dropped a pass <laughs> that was just, like, on the numbers while he was in, like, the, the basically the yeah. layup lines for receivers yeah. in free game. He dropped a pass in that and then went back through and made sure that he was able to, like, get it back to get his yeah. mind right, I would imagine. Uh, and then it happened again in the game. and he, he, he dropped one in that one. That was just an easy one. Um, we saw one as well from Daniel Parker Jr., but – uh, by the way, that, that's two more passes that were dropped that could have in, in, improved that completion percentage now that I think about it. That, that was another one. The, I mean, it's, it's a common play, especially if you watch uh, Gus Malzahn's Auburn, but the offensive line like pushes left, and then the tight end peels off and starts going right. So you see the movement like it's a run, and at the last second it's a throw, and I know I was kind of picking on Robinson's sidearm. That was actually a time for the right call. That is just Parker dropped it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it was a great throw. He had two of those tonight that were really great throws. Both of them, in, or one of them, I think was completed. The other one was dropped there yeah. by by Parker. Um, but yeah, I, I think kind of back to the point. Damon Hazelton is going to be Jamon Moore for all of the good and the bad that came yeah. with it, and that's going to be frustrating at times, but. He's also going to make a few plays this year that just make you say, wow. And he made a couple of those tonight. One, especially after the catch, where he he really looked good after it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to watch this game a couple more times and figure everything out and see see if we can figure out if – did Sean Robinson actually have an awesome game? <laughs> Let's figure this out. <laughs> did oh. we underestimate the fact that he had one of the best Mizzou quarterbacks games in the last three years? God, <laughs> what are we even doing? Uh, anything else, BK, before we let the good people go? I don't think so, man. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I was the only one, I believe, in our pre-gaming on RockMNation.com. And by the way, we're going to have a ton of coverage, RockMNation.com, yeah. from that game leading into next week as well. Uh, plenty to react to for sure. Uh, I was I think I was the only one that picked Mizzou not to cover the spread. You were, and, of yeah. course, they did mm-hmm. cover the spread in this one which means that I now get to be the guy that comes on here and says, wow, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) And it was. It was better than I thought it was going to be. And for week one, when you go up against Alabama, which is as difficult of a matchup as you can possibly have with a new quarterback, a new head coach, a new scheme that you're implementing, new wide receivers that you're trying to incorporate into that scheme, a left tackle that has never started at this level before. Like they had so many things working against them an offensive line that was just decimated by COVID and in fall camp, all of these things working against them. And they were a respectable team on the field against what I believe to be the best team in the country. That's an impressive job by Eli Drinkwitz, by his staff. They all deserve a lot of credit for that. And I leave this week feeling a lot more optimistic about what the season's going to be than I than I felt coming into this week. So that's that's all I can ask for after week one of the of the SEC season. Build the statue. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. That's you right. said it shorter. Uh, that's the show for tonight. As always, we appreciate the downloads and subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback. Of course, you can follow us on the Twitters. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time on Wednesday. We'll talk to you again. Until then, I'm IZ.